The one consistent is that you have definitely cheered them on <laughs> during this series. So thank you for that. Thanks, guys, for putting that together each and every week for the work of doing that. Uh, we are at the conclusion of our series, uh, but we've been going through this back to basics of, of Romans 1 through 8. We've gone through seven and a half chapters, and now we finish up with chapter 8. And some people have asked, what about the other eight chapters? And we're going to take sort of a season break as we start the Christmas season next week with a series called Christmas Playlist. And then uh, somewhere mid-January, we'll kick in the Romans 9 through 16 with a series called Metamorphosis, uh, which I'm really excited for us as a church family to, to dive into. But as we conclude this series where we've looked at the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, where Paul really lays out the foundation of the Christian faith and really brings us back to basics, and how important is it as believers that we continue to come back to the foundational teaching, the biblical teaching of Christianity, so we make sure that we don't go adrift? And that's why Paul wrote these chapters, so we would understand the true gospel and not drift from it. Paul does something quite amazing here in this part of chapter 8. He makes a transition from his speaking and his, his teaching on, on how to walk in the Spirit to this amazing message of hope, uh, our future hope, uh, to understand where we're heading and, and, and who God is in our life. How many of you need a little hope this morning? And, and, and Paul writes this in such a dynamic way that I just want to encourage you, put on your spiritual seatbelt this morning, because Paul's about to take us on a wild ride, okay? And, and, and as you know, Romans 8 is, is by far my favorite chapter in Scripture, and it begins with Romans 8.18 for our text this morning which is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. So let's dig in. Romans 8, 18 through 20, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so Paul starts right off by saying those in Christ, that they place their hope in, in the spirit for future complete release. And again, verse 18 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it talks about the fact that, that first of all, Christians will suffer this side of paradise. Have you found that to be true? Christians will suffer this side of paradise, but, but catch what he says. No matter what we go through, it's not even worth comparing to what we're going to receive. No matter what we're experiencing at this moment, it, it isn't even close to comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And, and you might remember last week when we looked at the first part of chapter 8, Paul talks about suffering. In fact, he ends in verse 17, basically saying that we're going to share in Christ's glory, but we also need to share in his suffering. And he's, he's alluding to verse 18 where he's saying, look, no matter what we go through this side of heaven, it's temporary. But not only is it temporary, if, if we just could get a glimpse of what paradise was like, we'd realize it's, it's not even worth giving attention to. It's not worth comparing to. And I was thinking about this. And I thought, no suffering amounts to anything compared to the way who is Christ. I mean, think about the way who is Christ. I was lost, but what now I'm found. 
No, no amount of suffering uh, can be compared to the truth who is Christ. You know, I was seeking truth, and then, then what? We who, who have come to Christ found the one who is the truth. No suffering amount can, can compare to, to the life who is Christ. As Paul has, has clearly shown us in Scripture, we were dead without Christ, but now we're alive. And, and here's the good news. No amount of suffering can compare to what I have in Christ or what I will have when Christ will return. When he returns and I leave this world of suffering behind and spend eternity with him in glory. So how do we endure our present sufferings? We keep our eyes on our future glory. In other words, we live by faith right up to the gates of glory. Now what's glory? When we speak of the glory of God, we're talking about his essence. We're talking about who he is, the way that he, he reveals himself through creation, the way he reveals himself through our salvation, our redemption. We talk about the way he even reveals himself in his word to understand his character and his, his presence. And so how do we grow in glory? Well, as the spirit of God makes us more and more like Christ, the glory of God begins to shine through us. We, we're not just positionally made right with God, but because we're made right with God, his spirit does a work within us that gives us sort of a piece of glory even here on earth. That's why I think Romans 8, 18 is such a fantastic verse. And when we see Christ face to face, here's the good news, church. There's no more suffering. I, I love that. There's no more tears. The glory of God will reveal to us with without the stuff of earth and the weakness of our flesh, our sinful nature, and the influence of the devil hindering us. In other words, when Christ returns, we're going to see him completely for who he is. And catch this. We're going to see ourselves completely for who, as we are in him. What a beautiful day that's going to be. Unhindered by the things of the world. Yeah, you can applaud. That's good news. That's good news. Notice that verses 19 through 21 speak of the, of the nature's trouble. This part has always intrigued me about this portage, uh, this portion of, uh, of Romans 8. That, that, that creation was cursed in Eden by God, that when all of humanity fell, the earth also became less than perfect. Creation has been subject to disease and suffering because of Adam's sin. And, and creation, it says, is waiting for the believer's redemption because in the believer's redemption, it too will be redeemed. Now, anyone out there who cares about our planet, and by the way, I'm a conservationist, I care about our planet. Uh, anyone who cares about our planet, that should be good news for any of us to realize that ultimately, uh, not only ourselves, but the world, the new heaven, new earth, will be perfect as it was in the garden. And and what amazing picture that is, that the world actually is groaning for its own redemption. It explains many things. See, God has promised that the creation subject to futility will not last through eternity, but a new beginning awaits this new and perfect world. Now, I like how John Stott states this. He says, nature will be brought out of bondage into freedom, out of decay into glory. That is out of corruption into incorruption. Indeed, God's creation will share in the glory of God's children, which itself will experience the glory of Christ. Think about that. Like we're going to be immersed in the glory of Christ, but so is the world. Then Paul continues in Romans 8, 22 through 27. 
For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what, it's, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Those in Christ are helped by the Spirit to overcome our weaknesses. Paul writes that we, in essence, are here waiting to be there. Have you ever felt that way as a believer? We're here waiting to be there, you know? Those days where we say, God, this will be a good day to come back, you know? And then we think of all the people who still yet to receive, and we go, just wait, wait, wait. But man, it would be good for you to come back. There's this groaning that happens. And part of the groaning is interesting. I, I remember sort of the first time this sort of clicked with me, and I thought, this is an amazing truth. Part of the groaning comes because as we grow in Christ, we experience these first fruits of the Spirit. Like the first time you had that, not peace because everything was going well, but that supernatural peace when things weren't going well, but God just sort of blessed you with it. Remember that moment? And, 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 and that moment where, where you held your tongue for the first time in, in a conversation, you knew it wasn't you. You know, all these fruits of the Spirit, patience and, and, and perseverance and, and all these things that, that God is doing in you. And it says it's interesting. So they're blessings, right? How many would say they're blessings? But you know what else they do? They cause, they cause us to groan. Because we know there's going to be a day where that type of peace and that type of control and that type of joy is going to be consistent, that intermittent. And so we, we groan. We, we groan as Jesus did at the tomb of Lazarus, you know, where there's death and heartache. And, and we groan as the Lord did when he saw the suffering all around him. I think of him going into Jerusalem, and he says to them, how many times I just wanted to put my arms around you and care for you, and you wouldn't have any of it? And how many times have you looked at those who you love so deeply and are not yet walking with Christ, and you just groan because there's a better way. There's a better way. And, 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 and so the first fruit of the Spirit, this, this piece of glory, this piece of what is awaiting us is such a blessing, but it causes us to groan because we're here waiting to be there. And our hope is that the God who has saved us will, will save us completely. And that's glorification. It's, it's the third facet of salvation. And we've looked at the three facets. We'll review in just a moment. But glorification is the final act of God in salvation, occurring at Christ's return. When the believer receives a, a glorified and perishable body, catch this, a glorified and perishable body, one that will never weaken or become sick. Don't you think that's pretty cool? Come on now. It's going to be glorious, beautiful, maybe even radiant. We don't know. Powerful, not superhuman, but full of strength. And spiritually, it's going to be dominated by the Spirit of God. And I borrow from Stott again, who explains, he says, caught in the tension between what God has inaugurated by giving us his Spirit and what he will consummate in our final adoption and redemption, we groan with discomfort and longing. The indwelling spirit gives us joy, and the coming glory gives us hope. But the interim suspense gives us pain. 
Interesting. And, and that's where we find ourselves. So, so Paul is, for seven and a half chapters, talked about this amazing work of, of salvation, and he spent nearly half of those chapters talking about the first facet, didn't he? Justification, being made right with God. And that's something he has done in the life of a believer. But if you're in Christ right now, you're justified. You're made right before God. By the way, if, you're yet to re- if you've yet to receive Christ, all you need to do is receive him this morning. And be made right with God and experience the, the relationship that you've been created to have in him in Christ Jesus. But, but that's his first facet. That's what he's done in a believer. What's he doing in a believer? Remember, it's sanctification. So he spent about three and a half, almost four chapters, really talking about what it means to have the work of God in the life of a believer, where the Spirit's making us more and more like Jesus. And now Paul says, but this is what God is going to do. It hasn't fully come yet, but when he comes back, we'll be glorified. We'll, we're actually going to become fully human. You say, well, I think I'm fully human right now. Well, you're fully human and flawed. But when Jesus comes back, we'll be fully human and not flawed anymore. Our bodies will be perfect. Our strength will be perfect. We'll, we'll, be, we'll have that desire to be continually in actual communion with God. By the way, the reason we're not in full communion with God right now isn't because he's not present in us. It's because of our own weakness. It's because of our own drift. So we've got to get back to basics continually looking at the foundations of the Christian faith and understanding what we're to believe. So justification, what God has done in the life of a believer. Sanctification, what God is doing in the life of a believer. And glorification, what he is yet to do. That's what we call complete salvation. Not to say that when you come to Christ, he doesn't completely bring you into the kingdom. It's just to mean there's still a work to be done. And when Jesus comes back, it will be done. You say, Craig, how do you know it's going to be done? And I'll say, because the Old Testament prophets talked about two comings of Jesus. He talked about the first coming, and that's come to pass. We start that series next week where we get to celebrate, right? Uh, we just celebrate every day, but the season, especially to remind us, celebrate. Jesus came, but God didn't just say he loved us. He came. And the prophets said that, and it came to pass. And if, if their amazing prophecies, all hundreds of their prophecies came to fulfillment, then why would we doubt? their prophecies that he would come back again would not come to completion. And we can take it to the bank when they say that, that he is going to return. And when Christ returns, we will feel no shame, church. We'll feel no shame for putting our faith in him. It'll be found worth every moment. In his glory, he's going to complete the work within us. Notice that not only does creation groan, not only do we groan, but it says so too does the spirit. In fact, there's a promise here but the Spirit of God will even intercede on our behalf. I wonder, have you ever been in a place in your spiritual life where you just didn't have the words to pray? Me, you just didn't have the words. Maybe you were going through a difficult time. Maybe you were praying over someone you loved going through a difficult time. And you found yourself just sitting there, not knowing what to say. In fact, there were just groanings. Maybe it was pain. Maybe it was, maybe it was a feeling of despair. And, and, and yet when you sat, you realized that something was taking place. I've had those moments in my life where I just sat silently before God, not knowing what to say, not knowing really how to pray in that moment. And, and yet just knowing that something was happening between me and the Lord. And, and it's the Spirit of God interceding on our behalf. It's God knowing our heart. Isn't it good? I mean, how many times in a relationship do you just wish someone could know your heart? 
You know, you, it didn't come out the way you wanted it to in a conversation. You went, man, I just wish they knew my heart, knew, knew what I really meant by that. Here's the good news with God. He knows our heart. And when we can't pray, the scripture says with, with these groaning utterances that the, that the spirit of God intercedes on our behalf. And I'll tell you what, what a blessing to know that. That our prayer life goes beyond our own weakness. It's completed by the perfect God who indwells each and every one of us. And then catch 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that those who love God, all things work for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28, a very commonly known verse. It's been called a pillow for which the Christian can lay their weary head. I mean, mean, let me read it again. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, what, what an incredible insight. God causes all things to work for the spiritual good and ultimate salvation of those who respond to him in love. Uh, the called include all people who have received Christ as Lord and Savior. They're, they're called according to his purpose, and we can be confident that nothing can hurt God's people. If you're in Christ this morning, you can be confident that nothing can hurt you so deeply that God cannot turn it around for his glory and our good. That's how amazing our God is. I had a person one time say, if your God is so good, if your God is so loving, then why does he make everything perfect? And I said, well, he's about to do that. He will do that when Christ returns. I said, but my God is so big, he can take the imperfect and make something good out of it. Now, that's a miracle. And our God is in the business of doing those things. God causes all things to work for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's be honest. We're in church, right? Shouldn't we be honest? We may not understand how God is working. Sometimes in the midst of it, we may not even appreciate it. Ever been there? But we've got to wrap our mind around the fact that God's promise here is not a promise to make us comfortable. He doesn't say that, does he? It's a promise to do what? But that everything that happens in the life of a believer, we can take heart that he'll use it for ultimate good. And just like our future glory, that that the suffering right now can't be compared to what's going to happen, in the midst of difficulty, we can take assurance that God is in the midst doing something and and that he's going to bring glory to himself and that he's going to do it for our ultimate good. We may not see it this side of paradise, but we can trust him, that he is with us. And so Paul writes in Romans 8, 29 through 30, for those whom he foreknew, in other words, he's talking about this comfort we have in Christ, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul's walking us through this this process that he's written about for the previous seven and a half chapters. And he says, "Listen, listen to what God has done. He foreknew. God's foreknowledge implies an acting knowledge of love. From the very beginning, he knew us. From the very beginning, he set out a path for us to be in right relationship with him. He predestined those who would believe in the sense that that as we come into a relationship with Christ, he predestined us to become more and more and more like Christ. He called us. God calls those who are saved through the gospel, and he's calling all people to come into relationship with him. And we can be confident then that nothing can hurt God's people so deeply that God cannot turn it around for good. 
We've been justified. This is our legal standing before God. We've been forgiven. We've been given life. We've been given the, the inheritance of heaven that we get the foretaste of, even here on earth, the very power of God working in us and, and through us. And we'll be glorified. I love this description of sanctification and glorification. Remember, sanctification is what God is doing in the life of a believer, making us more and more like Jesus. Glorification is when the work is completed. So think about it this way. Sanctification is glory begun. Glorification is sanctification finished. We've arrived. We've arrived. It it marks that that moment when we'll understand the true splendor of God and, and who we are in him and what an amazing blessing that is. Be sure of this. If you've placed your faith in God, you've been called. And if you've been called, he's predestined you for complete salvation. He's justified you. Right now, he's sanctifying you, making you more and more like Christ. And if, you're, if he's sanctifying you, he will one day complete the work he's begun. He will glorify us. And, and Paul says that's our destiny as believers. That, that's what God is doing, and that's what he's going to do. I like what Schaefer writes in his book, The Finished Work of Christ. He writes, according to the Bible, there's no ultimate conflict between God's sovereignty, meaning God's in control of all things. There's no ultimate conflict between God's sovereignty and our human free will. After we've accepted Jesus Christ, the word of God shines through and says that, wonder of wonders, God the Father has chosen you. So let's camp there for a second. So you came to Christ and you chose Jesus. But as we get in Scripture, we found although we chose Jesus, God first chose us. And an amazing truth. He had been pursuing us all along. Schaefer continues, he says, The Bible only teaches, catch this, the Bible only teaches about God choosing you in order to give you assurance of your salvation. If you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, your heart can be still. He'll carry you through the gates of glory. Now, church, that excites me. That excites me. I had a friend who was leading a small group in a church where I previously pastored, and he came. He was a little troubled because he asked a couple of the guys in the group, you know, uh, of our insurance of who we are in Christ, and, and they said, I hope that, that, that we can be sure of Christ. I hope that we're saved. And, and they didn't mean it in the sense of sure hope. They meant it in the way that often we use it, like we hope it doesn't snow and rain today, right? How many of you hope it doesn't snow and rain today? And, 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 and he was troubled by that. I said, let me come in and talk to him for a minute. I said, if you've received Christ, your hope is sure. You can be still. You can be confident that God is faithful. But he is with you. And we prayed, and and, and the freedom they experienced in that room, and I just want you to know the freedom this morning, that, that, that Paul writes these words inspired by God, not for us to question our faith, but to be secure in our faith, to to know that God is with us, that God is with us, that, 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 that we may choose to walk away, but why would we do that? But nobody else can, can, can in any way take us from the hands of God. And Paul's setting us up that. Look how Paul concludes chapter 8. Excuse me if I get a little excited. These words just are amazing. Buckle up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Hmm. This is going to be long if I can't get through. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. 
and practices how will ye also not in him graciously give us all things? Whom shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? For it is written, and Paul quotes from the Old Testament, For your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Listen to what he says in verse 7. No, no, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure of it neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing else, church, in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Those in Christ respond to God's love. Those in Christ, they, they reasonably respond to God's love. And, and really, here's a conclusion of the sort of, of all that Paul has written in, in the eight chapters. These nine verses are so wonderful. I, I just... I really believe they're so wonderful. Every Christian should, should become thoroughly familiar with them. Know those verses. Paul declares that if God is for us, who can be against us, church? Now, now, by the way, he doesn't just ask the question, who can be against us? Because if he asked it that way, the answer is many. Right? But if God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, who can stand against God? God is, God is for us in Christ Jesus. I read that verse and it reminds me of the story I heard of the elephant and the mouse walking across an expansion ridge. You know, it's like a rope bridge with cables and, and, and the mouse and the elephant are walking across this bridge. And of course, you can imagine the way of the other. That thing is just shaking and shaking and shaking. They finally get to the other side and the mouse looks up at the elephant and says, man, we moved that bridge. You know, the mouse did nothing, but, but, the, but because they're together, it's just shaking and shaking. And I thought, that anyone, anyone plus God is a majority. Think about it. Believer, think about it. Have you ever felt like the minority? Have you, have you ever felt like, you know, you don't have the power, the ability, and just fill in the blanks. If God is in you, you're a majority. The, the power of greater God rests in us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And Paul's not writing ignorant of difficulties and afflictions. We, we know that he... He experienced many. In fact, those in Rome, I'm guessing, faced many difficulties. I'm guessing many in this room understand difficulty. Nevertheless, no matter what you try to throw at the wall, it just doesn't stick. It just doesn't stick. Paul concludes, nor anything in all creation. I love that because he's given us this great list, death and height and death, angels. And then he says, well, wait a minute, this list is just getting too long. <laughs> That's what he does. He says, let me just sum it up. There ain't nothing out there that can separate us from the love of God. Not one thing. Nothing can separate us from God's love. No one can successfully bring a charge against us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. This love that's in our lives because of Christ Jesus. And if that's not enough, he says, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Like, we're not just conquerors. We're not just going to be victorious. We're, we're more than that. He said, Craig, what does it mean to be more than Congress? I have no idea, but it's really cool. 
It's really cool. Like, like I like to be on the winning team. Anyone out there competitive? I like to win. You know, I like it when others win when I'm not competing against them, if they're my friends. But if they're my friends and we're competing, I don't really find a lot of joy when they beat me. I'll just be honest with you. I love winning. And just knowing that in Christ I'm more than a conqueror just, just wells up in me that every single struggle, every day that I've thought to myself, man, I don't know if I gave it my all. Every moment where I've seen a weakness in me and I thought, Lord, I thought I'd overcome that in you. Ever been there? That in him I'm more than a conqueror. I'm not what I used to be, church. Thank God. I know I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I used to be. And God is going to complete the work. And if you're in Christ Jesus, he will in you as well. Nothing can separate us from the God's love and the ultimate victory we shall share in him. Listen to how John Stott concludes. We've been borrowing much from his commentary during this series. He writes this, Christian people are not guaranteed immunity to temptation, tribulation, or tragedy, but we're permitted victory over them. God's pledge is not that suffering will never afflict us, but that it will never separate us from his love. Our confidence is not in our love for him, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. It doesn't rest on us, church. It rests on him, and he's trustworthy. He's with us. And then I love what Francis Schaeffer writes. I've been quoting much from him in this series, too. If you haven't ever read his book on the finished work of Christ, it's worth it. He takes you through the first eight chapters of Romans in such a wonderful way. But listen to what he writes here. He says, yes, yes. If you've believed on Jesus as your Savior, go ahead and pull back the curtain. Dare to look ahead. Look ahead to the day when your body will be resurrected. When you're resurrected, eyes, you will see the glories of the redeemed, restored creation. Look ahead to the day when free in your glorified state from the very presence of sin, you will live with your Lord forever. Oh, my goodness. If you've decided to follow Christ, rejoice. If you've yet to decide to follow Christ, I just implore you this morning to consider doing so. Come to him. Be made right with him. Walk in his power. Let the spirit work within you. If you're a believer in Christ and God is sanctifying you, pursue it. Pursue holiness. It is the, the way in which we experience his joy and his peace and his power, this side of heaven. But, but understand, it, it's a messy process because God is perfect, but we're not. And, and, and trust him. That as you trusted him for your salvation, trust him for your sanctification, being made more and more like Jesus. It rests on him, not us. Praise God. And oh, church, no matter what we go through, no, it's not worth to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us in Christ Jesus. You, you think that what the Lord's doing in your life right now is amazing. Wait until it's completed. You, you, you think the joy we get to have when we gather on campus or online or or, or, or on a Hopewell campus and get to worship God. How amazing is that? Can you imagine it unhindered in heaven with all of our family before the Lord, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It, it, find hope in Jesus. Understand that our, our, our walk with him is from faith from beginning to end, and we grow from glory to glory. The presence of God indwelling us when we come to him, and as we go and grow and grow and become more like Jesus, his glory fills us and expands the world around us. 
and when he comes back, it'll be completed. But for today, we gather to scatter. We gather to put the glory of God on display, so when we scatter, we can share the hope of the world around us that we too, that each of us have in Jesus Christ. And in conclusion of our series of Romans 1-8, through 8, I just want to make this declaration. This is the true gospel. There is no other. Hope is in him. Hope is in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your profound love for each and every one of us. What an amazing journey uh, you've allowed us to take with Paul as we've studied Romans 1 through 8, and as we've looked at the not just the offer of salvation, but the work of salvation. That perhaps it was it, that work is, is, is much bigger than, than maybe we, we understood before we embarked on this journey, that it really isn't three facets. We speak of what you've done in the life of a believer, that if we're in Christ this morning, that we've been justified, we've made, been made right with you, we've been saved, we've been set free. And as we walk in the Spirit, we're being sanctified. Even today, made in more and more into the image of Christ. Oh, God, thank you. One day we'll be glorified when Jesus returns and the work is completed. God, I pray if there's anyone here this morning or anyone who's watching this at home that, Lord, perhaps is yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, right? why not right now in the quietness of their heart? Say yes to you. Receive you as the Lord of their life. To praise you for being their Savior, for making them right. God, help us today and tomorrow and the next day, as long as we take breath, to just trust that you're going to be faithful to us. And although times our weaknesses show up, oh, goodness, do they show up. And our sanctification process looks so messy that you're still faithful, that you haven't given up on us, and that even the difficulties in our life, that you can turn for your glory and for, for our good. God, remind us we're more than conquerors. And when everything is said and done, what a glorious day it's going to be when we stand before you. We're made complete in you, unhindered by the stuff of this world. And God, thank you as Patrick prayed many years ago, the great missionary to Ireland, that you are above us and beneath us, in front of us, and behind us, and within us. You consume us, God. Thank you for being our victory in Jesus' name.